0: scary movies.
1: uh-huh I'm getting ready to watch a video you making
0: popcorn uh-huh what's, what's, what's your favorite
1: thing uh, I don't
0: know you have to have a favorite
1: talk to me talk, talk to me Hi everybody I'm George and welcome to another episode of the best little Horror house in Philly the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made According to our guest at least and today's guest is a comedian who you might have heard as part of the What a time to be alive podcast. Please welcome Patrick Monahan. How's it going, buddy? Hello. How are you? Doing really well. Very excited to talk about this one. But before we get into today's pick, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your history with horror in general?
0: I I flit in and out. I, I, I go on little kind of uh, you know jags. I think where I'll, I'll I'll watch a bunch and then I'll take a break. And you know I, I think like like most people do with things like that. But sure. I think horror movies are are in particular very. Uh, compelling to people who it seems like a lot of comedy people like horror as well and it seems like there it's because i think there's a you can express what the whole movie kind of is in like one sentence like you just need like a good idea like a good mm-hmm. kind of you know gimmick for the thing and then it just kind of you know flows from there and also i guess you know fear reaction is sort of a cousin of laughter right it's like a it's like an involuntary thing so you're right. kind of provoking a similar thing surprise yeah so so you know I, I think that's that's part of it too I mean but yeah I, I've always liked you know I, I I will admit to being kind of a, a little bit of a chicken I think probably I don't love jump scares you know I don't like be I don't like feeling like I'm being punished <laughs> I don't really mind gore I don't I don't think like I haven't seen like terrifier or those you know which I hear are like you know um, I don't know when I'm gonna ever see them because I live with my fiance and I'm not sure that you would ever want to watch <laughs> it so it's you know if I'm if I, if she's out for the night or she's away or something I will watch some other garbage you know that probably won't be on my list but stuff right. that she doesn't want.
1: You're not watch. like finally a chance to watch hmm. like somebody gets sawed in half vertically <laughs> yeah.
0: or whatever, right? I, yeah, I, 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 I've heard enough about it that. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, and, and so I will inevitably sort of look away from the screen or something, even in the theater, if I think something scary is going to happen. But but I, but I appreciate a well-crafted, you know, and a genuinely scary thing, you know, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what was good recently. Hereditary, obviously, would be a good example of just like, oh, yeah, this is like its own, like, cool thing. That's like, you know. Right. Watershed moment. We're actually going to watch The Exorcist after after we record this. We're going to go out and get some food. And then because and then, uh, oh. uh, Whitney's never seen that. So we are going to do that. That's um, exciting. Sort of Big kick, one. Kicking off. Yeah. Well, yeah, It's a, she said it's the only movie her dad's ever actually been afraid of, which I, think <laughs> fun. Um, I, I would say, I mean, I would say that is, you know, and I'm sure that's been talked about on here already. So that's why so I, I went with, I went like with a different sort of take on it, obviously, which we'll, which we'll get into on, on sort of the prompt. But yeah, Exorcist is one of the few, like legit, like stays with you, at least for me. And you, and you don't exactly. And I also went to Georgetown. So that's part of it for me too. Oh,
1: there you go. Yeah.
0: So like this, I'm wearing a hat of a bar that is like. 50 paces from the exorcist steps it's like the bar <laughs> that everyone goes to that's you know or not everyone but a lot a lot of it's the bar that saint Amos fire was based on it's uh it's called the tombs for people that are listening obviously you can read right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh no it's uh so so it's the, all that lore is kind of all wrapped up but it's uh, but it also functions i had seen it before i saw it in high school you know before i even had decided where i was going to college but they showed it every halloween you know in like the big fancy you know lecture hall and stuff and costume contest so that but anyway, what I'm saying is I, you know, I, I appreciate it, but I also love the schlock too. You know, that's, that's the thing, you know, uh, there's a, uh, we watched Annabelle not too you know, the other day, which I hadn't seen, which is like did not really, we weren't really in the right, we weren't setting the mood. We were just kind of doing other stuff while it was on. So it was kind of, right. you know, but I love a movie where it's like, there's like a hideous doll and they're like, Oh, it's so <laughs> great. I can't wait to bring it home and put it in my head, <laughs> you know, like, forget about the curse. Just like, why do you want that in your house? <laughs> stuff like that, you know? And then you know we yeah so we're 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 about to dip into you know I think watching a lot of horror stuff for the next for yeah the next month. tis the season exactly. tis the season
1: exactly and definitely I mean The Exorcist who I mean what is there to say about it really at this point it has such a longevity for a reason it's so scary not just from like a supernatural perspective but I think that part of what it does so well is it really captures the fear of like. Something is wrong and medicine is not doing a good job of figuring yeah. out what the problem is. Yeah. Like there's so much time that they spend going to doctors and going to traditional medicine and being like, tell me, I want you to be the one to provide the answer. And, uh, and the fact that they can't. Is what makes it so so frightening to non-believers right. uh,
0: in in demons and ghosts. Yeah, so. I mean, she gets the spinal tap, which I did not know what that really entailed. Ooh. You know, yeah. until then, it's like, oh, that's pretty messed up. Yeah, I mean, there, you know, not to harp on this movie because we're not talking about this movie, but like the, the when Caris hears Father Merrick collapse, and mm-hmm. then he and then he has to decide whether he's going to go back up into the room when he already kind of excused himself. <laughs> that is like the the most like oh no like i remember being in the theater watching it like the first time i saw it and just like you know because because you're (laughs) because you're popular culture you know it's like a godfather level thing where if if you have you know if you if you're a younger person and you watch it you're like oh that's what that's from oh that's what that's Mm -hmm. from oh that's what that's from And so it's very easy to kind of dismiss it as, oh, yeah, throwing up pea soup on everybody. Ha ha ha. It's like, oh, no, this is like really messed up and and hard to watch. And yeah, him having to go up those stairs and open that door, you're just like, oh, you don't have to do that, man. You can just 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 turn around, turn around and leave. (laughs) You know, they're not going to call the cops and make you go in there, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so that's, it's good. This is a good
1: way to kind of kick off unofficially getting getting back into the season. So definitely, definitely. So uh, you mentioned a couple of supernatural movies in there. Do you have a favorite subgenre within more traditional horror that sort of is your go-to in a moment where you are looking for it? I don't know. I don't think I have – I don't think I would characterize
0: it as a particular subgenre. I mean – uh, the one that I, the one that I also thought about doing, but I think someone else had done it already, so I, I didn't do it. Is um, have you seen? I assume you've seen Hell House LLC, which is like the oh n- hasn't been done yet for the oh, show. Okay. I have so seen it, I, but I, uh, I, yeah, I, this is that's one that I brought up for another I, another hard podcast I did actually a while a while a few years ago now, but um, but that one to me is interesting because. Uh, it was one of those ones that was like way deep in the recommendations on Prime. You know, year, mm-hmm. for years and years I would see it when you're kind of all the way at the end of the thing. And you're like, <laughs> I'm not watching this movie. This title, there's no way this could be good Corny ass title. Corny ass title. Like, like, ass title. <laughs> like it, Just like, no way. I'm not. And then you watch it and it's like, oh, this is like actually really scary and, and very mm-hmm. well done for what it is. And they made like four... Apparently there, there's a new sequel coming. I think it's a Shutter exclusive coming in October. I, I, I assume that's not... Uh, uh, private knowledge i don't know why it would be but anyway hell house um, the subsidiaries yeah right exactly yeah it's a, it's a well that, that's getting into subsidiaries and stuff like yes. that that's more about what we're going to be talking about here that's that different kind of evil no it's uh i, I like I, I don't know i i just i like little i i there are movies that i harp on like that i think i think that's more what it is you know and, and mm-hmm. i'll just I think if I, if I know what I'm going into, you know, is this actually scary? Is this just like like a dumb schlock thing? Is this like, you know, like the nun, right? Like I'm definitely going to see the nun too, probably not in the theater, but like, you know, like I'm exactly, that's exactly what I want to see. You know what I mean? Yeah. Pope's Exorcist, right? I mean, obviously I love Russell Oh, a gem. Mamma Mia. Not, (laughs) maybe not strictly a horror movie in in, in that way, but it, you know, when you know what you're getting, it can be, there's nothing more satisfying. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And as you said, we are sort of talking about subsidiaries and uh, less traditional horror because today we're discussing a triumph of existential ennui and self-loathing in the workplace. Michael Clayton, a horror in many ways beyond just this, but just a gut punch of a movie. It's so great. Do you remember like seeing it for the first time? How did you come to this movie? I went
0: to law school. You know, I, I am, I am a, a licensed, you know, attorney and everything. I went to Fordham Law School, which is uh, the same as uh, as Michael, actually. But yeah, it's not. I don't remember the first time I saw it. I didn't see it in the theater because it's it's not a, it's not a title that jumps out at you, right? It's not you know (laughs) like and and it was during a period of, the oh, it's like a George Clooney movie. Okay, whatever. You know what I mean? It was not like a you know, but but it is a. Obviously, it's a you know, it's like one of my favorite movies one that i would watch a million times even though it's not i wouldn't call it a comfort movie in the sense that it doesn't really provide comfort but it but it does in the sense that it's very familiar and i've seen you know you know in that way kind of like how uh, other people have talked about this on on other stuff i think i'm blank check but like spotlight is like another movie that's like it's obviously the subject matter is horrifying and but it's like people like that are competent and doing their job and like working towards something and like succeeding in some way there's something that's like very satisfying obviously you don't want the people that are succeeding in this movie to succeed but yeah so so i i just it it was kind of a slow burn for me i think when i realized like how much i really appreciated it you know i obviously i think i probably watched it after maybe after it got nominated for oscar or something or or one of my friends told me about it but uh it's just become something i mean the last few years we we've on new year's when we get home you know, and obviously the last, a couple of the last few years, we didn't go out at all for New Year's. But uh, that has been the first movie that we watch every year. As we just we just throw on we throw on Michael Clayton, which is
1: uh, that rocks. Turning well, no, what better movie for turning over a new leaf, what right? A
0: fun, what a fun and uplifting way to start the year. But uh, <laughs> but it works for some reason. So yeah, we'll we'll, we'll keep it up. I'm sure. Definitely. Yeah,
1: I think the thesis for this episode can be sort of summed up by Joe Mandy, the uh, great comedian, made a great lawn sign that looks like one of those we believe love is love, science is real, etc. signs. But it says, we believe the legal thriller Michael Clayton starring George Clooney, Tilda Swinton and Tom Wilkinson is a vastly underrated cinematic masterpiece and easily one of the five best films of the 21st century. Of course, thriller is a subgenre of horror because a thrill is a small scare. We all know this. So pay no mind to the labeling there. It's just <laughs> more specific.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and legal thriller is a subset of, of thriller, obviously. And they don't really make these anymore because they don't make a lot of kinds of movies anymore because yeah. of the way that movies are funded and all that kind of stuff, it seems like. But, yeah, this was like, a, you know, the Grishams and the uh, Scott Turow type movies and all. You know, the, there's a lot of um. There's a proud history. This one's a little bit less uh, popcorny, I guess, than the mm-hmm. than you know the Pelican Brief or, or something. <laughs> but uh, but it's you know it's it's part of the same. Or the Devil's Advocate would be a, maybe a, an even better example of you know, you know definitely. Think, but also that's also written by Tony Gilroy, which yeah. is So who who has said everything that needs to be said about the legal profession between those two movies. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: this movie even starts like it has its roots in the Devil's Advocate because he was. Doing research for that movie, spent a lot of time just like walking around New York law firms. And he talked about being shocked by the space and personnel that it took behind the scenes. He said, I was really struck by how unrepresented an actual law firm was on film. It's either like L.A. Law or it's like The Firm or it's like Devil's Advocate. They have that wood paneled room. It's just that no one ever goes in there. And the real work is taking place in these huge backstage industrial areas with documents and people working. When you go to the law firm to shoot location at three o'clock in the morning, it's shocking. There's three or four lights on every floor and some poor person buried under paper. And he thought this is kind of an untouched area. There's a lot of drama going on back here. Let me sort of file this away. And he, he did. I mean, Devil's Advocate came out late 90s, right? Ninety nine. I want to say 97.
0: 97? 97, might... Yeah. Yeah, 97.
1: 97. So Tony had this percolating for quite a while. Yeah, 10 years you you know, between the movies, at least this idea is rumbling around. He goes to Castle Rock Films with whom he'd worked several times. So they had confidence in him. And he gave them the sketchy pitch. He said, I want to make a movie about lawyers that doesn't go anywhere near a courtroom. It'll have a movie star part. I want to direct and someone will die. And Martin Schaefer said, OK, we'll do that. <laughs> Great. Done and done. So he has the green light, but it took a while to nail down sort of because the concept is so rich. He was like, I came up with this great fixer, Michael Clayton, and now I don't know what to do with him because he could do a thousand different things. It is a very compelling character. It's, it's sort of a, a great archetype of this like guy who is so good at his job, uh, but like wants a way out. Thief is another great example of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, Clooney just knocks it out of the park. So he spent two years writing it, and then it took another six years to actually get it off the ground. So he's already kind of exhausted by the time Soderbergh gets him in the room with Clooney. And part of the reason it took so long is because Tony was really committed to having him as the star. It was kind of funny. I listened to the commentary, and he was talking about, like, I was so desperate. I was like, it can even be a post-pass meeting. I, he just, like, wanted to hang out with Clooney.
0: <laughs> and who could blame him? Yeah. Might get
1: pranked though. You got to be careful. <laughs> That's right. But he, everyone, he had everyone he knew harassing George just to get him in for a chat. Um, he is really great in this, and I think that part of what Clooney does really interestingly and is very rare is he sort of occupies the space of movie star and serious character actor. You can take him seriously in both, but he has the appeal to be the face of a movie. I mean, literally, the poster is just his face. The truth can be adjusted,
0: right? That's isn't that what it says? I think that's what. Yeah. I think that's what the. And again, that's the kind of thing that you just kind of roll your eyes a little bit. You're like, "What is this movie?" Okay, you know. <laughs> you know but like again, you're missing out if you don't uh, if you don't actually watch it. So
1: yeah, it's the kind of thing where like going in, you're like, "Man, what the hell is this?" And then afterwards, you're like, "Yeah, the truth can
0: be adjusted."
1: <laughs> so they have this nine hour meeting. They talk about their fathers and movies from the seventies. Including several that directly influenced this, like Clute, Network, The Parallax View. And Gilroy has also talked in interviews about this era being where his own obsession with movies began, thanks to the combo of, quote, muscular filmmaking with great subject matter, and ambiguity, complexity, and loose ends. That's been sort of ghettoized to the side now to the Sundance film or the super indie film where people are really hanging on for dear life because they don't have enough money to make their movies. They have the 20th choice of actor and their crew's doing everything for the first time. But that era of balls-out, tough, full-stop, pro-movie-making that didn't have the chaos beaten out of it, there are so many movies that fall into that category. The Palooka films, Clute was a big influence, Point Break was a huge influence, all the Gordon Willis films, Sidney Lumet, Hal Ashby, Frank Perry, and Sidney Pollock. Sidney Pollock is, of course, in this movie, also quite good as Marty Bach, one of the name partners in this law firm. And, you know, this sort of just convinced Clooney. And he said that having him on board with this 70s influence was like the ultimate bodyguard for doing it the way they wanted to. This included the look of the movie, They used actual 70s era Panavision lenses with a new coat and anamorphic film to let the framing and negative space be a part of the movie. It looks so good. There's a moment early on where Clayton is at the rich guy's house and he picks up the phone and you're like, I can't believe they made answering a phone look so slick and dramatic and like (laughs) compelling just for him to be like, the police don't call. Pick up. Just really great stuff. The other stars are, as mentioned in The Sign, Tilda Swinton as Karen Crowder and Tom Wilkinson as Arthur Edens. Uh, Tony was really pleased with the cast as a first-time director. He said it was a lot of low-maintenance actor, and they all did a great job with admittedly challenging material. You know, these are not the, like, sexiest roles for Tom Wilkinson and Tilda Swinton here. To say the least. I and, mean, you know, this is also like a—I mean, obviously the
0: dialogue is, is like, among the things—I mean, there's a lot of great things in this movie, but, like, it's not— a lot of it's not easy, I would imagine, to deliver. You know, it's kind of jargony. It doesn't really speak down to you, you know, or, or dumb it down, you know, a lot of the sort of, especially with Arthur, you know, any of the legal stuff. But I mean, also Karen does some of that as well. And it's, yeah, I mean, you you fully believe all these people who obviously are all total, you know, every actor in this movie is a, is a total pro, but but you believe them as as these professionals in a way that it doesn't feel like they're kind of putting on a costume, at, you know, and, and, and Clooney, like you said, is sort of, you know, and it's... It's interesting that you know, because so many times in movies in movies like this, you know, you'll you'll see, and I, and I say this out loud all the time, and it's probably like annoying to uh, to my fiance, but it's like you know, well, it helps that the, you know this person is the most attractive person anyone has ever seen, you know, in the world of the movie. You know what I mean? It's right. like the idea that, <laughs> but but it but with someone like you know with someone like Clooney, like with someone like Michael. Yeah, him looking like that is just another thing that makes him good at the job, right? And right. Being charming and like, you know, like it's just enough to kind of blow by somebody or get someone to kind of bend the rules or, you know, the, the – they give him the hotel key card so he can go up and clean up before somebody gets – you know, or whatever, you know, whatever the hell it is, you know. And it, it just it, – it makes it more believable in a weird way. Definitely.
1: If he wasn't as good looking as Clooney, that's a, a strike against him having that position, being able to function as effectively as he does. That's how he got to this point. Yeah, is it's another it's another tool in the toolbox. Exactly. So it's yeah, it really is just fire.
0: Everybody's firing on all cylinders, and the, the whole the whole thing is just yeah, it's wonderful. And they bring back Danny from Caddyshack out of nowhere <laughs> as as a a, a true asshole, mm-hmm. and who's who's phenomenal in that in that part. Just great stuff.
1: Definitely. Tilda Swinton as Karen Crowder. Tony talked about how she's a very sympathetic. Bad guy to him He sort of describes her as lost He said that she's very formal She had to grind to get the job And it means everything to her And so that's part of why she's Gripping to it so tightly But when she's forced to improvise She can't admit that she doesn't know the answer And so everybody Pays the price for this basically
0: Yeah, I mean the first time we see her I think she's she's doing the rehearsing the it, What is going to be a softball interview You know, it's clearly like a very sympathetic Reporter, you know, asking these kind of, well, how do you, you know, work-life balance, you know, and you know, th- there's your balance you know, uh, and she right. she has to do all these things. But, but, and this is obviously all you find out later, like in the context of all these horrible things going on. So, of course, she's like stressed out about, you know, what's going you know, <laughs> she's putting a hit on somebody and all this stuff. Meanwhile, she's, you know, trying to do like a, uh, for some kind of internal video magazine or something. I have no idea what the, what the interview is even for, right. but yeah, I mean, I mean, y- you see. You know, it's somebody who probably has nothing else going on in her life, you know, and that's how you get to this kind of thing, unless you're somebody that has kind of connections or whatever. And she's totally beholden to Don Jeffries. It it, it seems like, you know, I mean, not that he doesn't, you know, respect her and not that he's not like tapping her to take over. But at the same time, like, you know, like she has to deliver for him because she knows that, you know, this whole thing is, you know. um, Right. He took a chance on her and
1: he could easily... Pull that away.
0: Right. And, and she's not like a wheeler dealer type, you can, you know, or any of that. And, and she's, you know, yeah, she's there because she's competent in a very particular way. And frankly, because he's the chairman of the board, you know, he's basically, um, or CEO rather, I guess. I guess maybe he's both, but in any event, mm-hmm. um, he's sort of puppeteering her anyway. You know what I mean? Like, she, he's still basically, you know, general counsel, you know, effectively, because she's going to go to him with anything and he gets to, you know, so it, it, it because because she took over from him, right? That, that, right, right. Okay. He handpicked her to take right. her over. Okay, yeah. I want to make sure I'm, I'm I remembered it right. But yeah, you know, she she's you know sweating, you know, pitting out the shirt and stuff. It's a very kind of unflattering <laughs> in a lot of ways performance. You know, in both literally in terms of how she looks, you know, and also just figuratively, it's like this is like a you know this is somebody who's just covered in flop sweat at all times. You know, right. Kind of you know <laughs> you can see it, but also you can just kind of feel it. Mm-hmm. And somebody who should be like one of the masters of the universe, but is really just like, okay, well now what do we do? And like, look from a, as the movie kind of sets out, you know, like they are screwed. If this thing gets out that Arthur is somehow melting down and deciding to kind of, you know, make clear. And it's bad enough that he had the deposition meltdown, but like, you know, the, the, uh, the, you know, there's that one document that's going to destroy your whole case, you know, and, and it's game over
1: and he's giving it
0: to him and he's, yeah, he's doing it. He's doing it.
1: Uh. (laughs) Yeah, on the other hand, we have Arthur, this man who so loathes his life and what he's doing, that he has this mental breakdown, and that breakdown vocalizes all the fears that Michael himself has. He is the Jiminy Cricket of this movie, and, and unfortunately, he also pays the price here. And I think it's really interesting that all three of these people are in service to this beast that Arthur mentions at the beginning, but their reactions are the difference. Arthur wants to atone michael wants to escape and karen is eager to do its bidding but then by doing its bidding she's left so hollow at the end of the movie that she literally can't even stand she collapses on the floor this beast figurative beast has taken everything that she has to offer and uh, cares not a whit for her <laughs> yeah is this, is this man bothering you right yeah, I mean, I mean,
0: it's you know, obviously Wilkinson is amazing, but it, it can't be overstated. Like, this was the only thing he did. Basically, it sounds like you know, for mm-hmm. the better part of what a decade, you know, this case because these cases take forever and they grind through. And if you're, you know, it's a class purposefully
1: delayed, right? As well,
0: right. I mean, if you if you're the defendant, you know, you, you you know, and you have a lot of money to spend, you just try to grind everyone down and you just make everything take forever. You you know, get con- you know, and the courts are can be sympathetic to you know bigger defendants and, and certainly you know high-priced lawyers who are able to kind of make you know have resources to make arguments and do all kinds of filings and stuff that just have to be dealt with and then the court's dockets are crowded anyway so you know you can see how it would take all that time and you know if you stop and think about it for a second it's like are we what side am i on here then that's i guess where you end up potentially um you know he's got no family he's got a uh, his daughter wants something to do with him, etc. cetera. You know, it's yeah. it's he's, he's in a way like kind of a mirror of, you know, I'm sure this is not breaking new ground, but of Karen, you know, he's got nothing else going on either.
1: Right. We also, as we sort of mentioned, the smaller performances are amazing in this too. We have Sidney Pollack as the partner of the firm, Marty Bach, Bill Raymond as the bookie, Robert Prescott and Terry Serpico as Mr. Vern and Mr. Iker. even the like one or two scene performances like Merritt Weaver as Anna and David Lansbury as Timmy just really all spectacular nobody here is like letting uh other people carry the weight for him
0: you got to give it up for o'hare too at the beginning the guy the Definitely. guy the guy was running you take that yeah. you take the lamps yeah I, I i you know there's there's nobody who sticks out really in this uh i would say for sure it's really I mean, it sticks out in a, in a negative way i mean right yes yeah, so, and i mean, so, I mean this, this has you know not that there, not that there are that many of them but there are in the in the 90s and and 2000s there are a couple of the well-appointed room with a billiards table Sidney Pollack telling you the way things are you know seen which uh, right. it's really it's this and eyes wide shut you know there and it's very similar kind of you know here's the way the world works type thing and that is just such a a rich thing to be able to kind of experience um and I would imagine to act on the other side of too because just like this is I can't believe this guy's you know I get to hear from this guy because obviously people that are Of the age that Clooney, you know, was and and Tom Cruise was, you know, they grew up on, you know, if if you're a a fan of film, you know, Sidney Pollack's stuff was part of the stuff that I'm sure got them into, you know, like with Tony Gilroy, got them into movies in general. So
1: definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was really interesting and kind of funny to have these uh, multiple directors as actors in your movie. And, you know, it's kind of interesting for them to be able to understand where Tony's coming from and sort of work with him uh, a little more directly as a holistic actor, I guess. And Tony said they were greedy to regress that whenever he got into a pinch doing, uh, due to it being his directorial debut, he'd be like, are you going to help out at all? And they would just like shrug and be like, figure it out. Not my job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah. I, I think that there's something about casting a director sometimes. And obviously Sidney Pollack, also an actor, you know, and, and you know, but, but, Like they know, uh, there's something about like the his matter of factness is just so is so good, and he's so, you know, I mean, this is a big law firm, hundreds of lawyers, and he is a name partner, you know, and I don't know if he's a founding partner or what, you know, I don't know how old the firm is, but like Kenner Bach, he's he is, you know, he's Bach. He's also the only one we see. He's right. the
1: boots on the ground guy.
0: Well, yeah, and the way it worked, there could be, you know, the other guys could be dead, you know, who who knows what you know, it could have been a uh, you know, merger or something like that from years before or whatever whatever it is. But I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he's clearly he's the he's the managing partner now. He's like he's clearly the dude. And um yeah, I don't know. He's he, he in particular is like one you know, I mean, uh you know, we caught a lucky break. We did, didn't we? You know, that mm-hmm. that like just everything about his maneuvering where he like brings michael into the we caught a lucky break you know what i mean it's like well yeah yeah, he gets him to be the one to say he said you caught a lucky break not we you know what i mean like (laughs) like, you know i think he's he's outside of this but you're trying to bring him in i don't know it's yeah i it's you know at the at the the risk of gushing i yeah i you know you just want to call out every performance and you know know, by and i also want to say the name terry serpico is like truly unbelievable (laughs)
1: amazing Um, so good. They, they should have just left it as that for the for his role here.
0: Yeah. And he's in a ton of stuff. You know, I mean, he, he's a guy you'll see just in random stuff. You know, down the line. I mean, he was in a uh, flight attendant. He played like a sort. Of, it's sort of like a comic reliefy type role, and it was just like, mm-hmm. oh man, that's like the other dude front, you know, <laughs> that's the, it's like, cause I, I don't remember if they say, you know, cause I know Mr. Vern, obviously, right. Cause they say his name, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't remember if they say, uh, maybe it's, maybe they, maybe the, the caddy says it or something, the guy at the golf course, but you know, like his name is Iker or, you know, but, but it's like, Oh, that's the other guy. That's the other guy with Mr. Vern, you know, and he's, he's yeah. the guy that I, you see kind of more. Cause I don't, I don't think I really. The other actor that plays Vern, I guess, who is it? Robert Prescott. He doesn't. Right. really – He's not in as much stuff. He's he's more in movies. It doesn't seem like he's really been in as many TV shows. I guess. Right. But, but uh, yeah, and also obviously, Serpico has a very memorable face. Like he's got like a he's got a real look. So yeah, he's got kind of like a Lundgren He's exactly to him. right. He like you would not be surprised to hear that he is a guy who will you know inject you with some kind of uh, you <laughs> know, a fatal dose of heroin or, or whatever whatever that stuff is. So yeah.
1: There was also a lot of praise in the commentary for James Newton Howard who did the score. I also really like it. It's not overbearing at all and it's honestly kind of sparse, but when it hits, ooh, it feels good.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. It's it's it is it is very sparse, but it's got that there's that little like um I don't know what the effect is. I don't know what the what, the, but that little noise is very. It feels very 70s thriller too, right? Which is why, definitely, I'm sure intentional. It's an homage, all that kind of stuff. But it's you know it's interesting I looking up because I was like, what has Robert Prescott done? The guy who played Mr. Vern. He was like the I guess he was in Real Genius, and he was in Bachelor. He was in Bachelor Party. He he was like an 80s guy. And it's funny how many of these, how many of these now guys have aged into these things where, you know, we talked about, uh, uh Danny Noonan, obviously from Caddyshack is in it as the, uh, the, the asshole, uh, attorney uh, whose name I can't remember now, but also, um, Don Jeffries was, uh, he was the white shadow. So like these guys are all from these like funny, you know, things in the past and, and, and then you get old and your face sets in and then you get to play guys like this, I guess. I guess that's how it works. Yeah. Weathered
1: by life. What a business. <laughs> You've also got a bit of a family affair with this movie. Obviously, Tony Gilroy, the writer-director, and then you have John Gilroy, who's the editor of the movie. They talk in the commentary about the balance between John wanting to really underline everything, go big on emotions, while Tony was very restrained. And I think that the balance that they found is on screen in that, you know, you can kind of see these emotions bubbling, but it's never too, like, uh, over the top. I think that it works really well uh, to blend those two styles.
0: yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think that, I think it gets to the point, I think, I think Tony's perspective in particular, you know, it, you know, the reason that I sort of picked this is because it is this, like the, you know, the banality of, you know, the, the ugliness and horror behind all this, you know, it, cause it is just like paperwork, right? It's not, you know, for the most part, obviously there's a, there's an assassin, you know, a, a, a murder, you know, a, a for hire that goes on. But, but in general, like most of what's been going on to the, to get to this point, is just, you know, it's all perfectly legal. It's just operating in the, you know, within the legal system and, you know, in the legal process. I'm sure they didn't file anything that would get them in trouble. You know, there's no ethical violations or anything like that. You know, uh, it sounds like there may have been something suspicious that went on with the fire in the warehouse that destroyed a number of documents, but they still managed to keep this, uh, this, that, the the memo in question that that sort of sets everything into motion is uh, somehow saved. Everyone is very matter of fact. There's not a lot of moments of kind of you know. The only people who are really freaking out are the, the sort of the clients, I guess, right? Because you know, the, but the lawyers are all just this—they've seen this all a million times, you know. Right? They're a little bit disassociated. From right. It. The guy, you know, I've been a client for Kennerbach for how many years, you know? And the wife throws the glass finally when she snaps, right. you know. You have to fix this. You have to fix, you know. And and Michael doesn't is not moved really at all by it. You know, obviously he's he's his own in his own world, but when Karen Crowder's freaking out too, same thing, you know, it's just kind of mm-hmm. like, yep, well look, we, we got him on his meds. He's had a rough time where he's asleep. We're working on it. It's like, well, wake him up. It's like, it's not a good idea right now. You know, right. It's, it's a good bedside manner, you know, just for doing ugly stuff, I guess. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the movie had a 21 and dollar budget made 93 million at the box office. And it also got much acclaim, seven Oscar nominations and the only one to get multiple acting nominations. This was, though, also the year of There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men, so it didn't get many wins that year, except for Tilda Swinton's Supporting Actress win for Karen, which I think is well-deserved. Again, we talked about how it's not a flattering performance and everything. I think that she uh, really went for it It, with gusto. She deserved that win. Yeah, I mean, she's great. You know, it's a
0: a rare role when she's not... You know, she sort of has been, this legend is kind of built up around her, where she plays these kind of weird characters and ethereal kind of, you know, this whole, all. That. But I mean, she's just playing a, you know, a lady uh, uh, who is in over her head a little bit, but also is trying to meet the moment and and is willing to do horrible things. so yeah. Not, you know, sympath- I, I I get what he means sympathetic. I don't think I think he means sympathetic in the sense that you can kind of see where she's coming from, but not that not sympathetic in the way that people colloquially use it. Like I feel bad for you know what I mean? Like no, right. She's a monster. But but there is a, you know, it's a relatable in, in in a in the in the very abstract sense. It's relatable, not that yeah,
1: she's capable. pressed upon by her situation right. and uh, and sort of who has not had to make a call that they maybe felt a little gross about at some point. Sure. So.
0: You got to download an encrypted package to, uh, yeah. <laughs> to our standard package to your computer. It's pretty simple. Yeah. It's just a
1: classic murder contract. <laughs> yeah. Whatever that we're,
0: we're going to send you, we're going to send you an encrypted package. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you think you'd want to use a burner phone or something. I feel like I'd be, be a little bit more careful about this, but you know,
1: yeah, it's all above board. Yeah. <laughs> So let's get into the actual movie. I really like this audio-only open. Tom Wilkinson's Arthur pleading for a little understanding from our man Michael really sets up the mystery of who this guy is, that he, A, has this kind of power over him, and also, B, why Arthur is so manic. And he tells Michael about a sensation he had. They were about to be in a terrible traffic accident, and he feels overwhelmingly sticky. Is it amniotic fluid? Is this rebirth? No, it's shit. A patina of shit because he hasn't come just out the front doors of their high-powered law firm. He's been shat from the asshole of an organism whose sole purpose is to excrete the ammunition that allows even larger and more powerful organisms to destroy humanity. Very potent, powerful monologue to really hook you in at the beginning. Yeah, keeping it breezy up at at the the top. (laughs) This leads, along with a cart full of legal documents, into a room bustling with people, the fauna of this organism, law firm Kenner, Bach, and Leighton. And they're settling a case that was pending litigation for six years already, one of many that they've dragged out. And one of the name partners, Bach, has only a very canned answer for a reporter who's nosing around. Where the fuck is Karen Crowder, he asks. (laughs) Cut, Cut to Tilda Swinton hiding in the bathroom, shirt soaking through with sweat just such a funny introduction to that character. <laughs> She's like just feeling it like oh god, this is a nightmare.
0: Yeah. Yeah, either either you, either you don't have anything and you're on deadline. Either way, I wish you the best of luck. Yeah, that's it's it's quite a, you know, and, and the the all hands on deck going through millions of pages of documents whatever's going on there, you know, that stuff. I mean, a lot of that stuff is electronic now. I feel like you don't get as many. I mean, there are I'm sure there are cases where the only thing they have are, you know, physical documents and, and stuff that's from years ago would probably be that way. That sort of scene with like a million people who are you know 25 and they're ordering stuff on seamless staying up all night working and, and sort of divorced from what the what's really going on their job is just to you know you got to read all this stuff and you got to pick out the stuff that's important and the sort of broader impact of it is left to the you know the bigwigs and and someone like arthur who then his brain breaks because of it basically so right. <laughs> probably for the best that not everyone's thinking about it i guess at least for them
1: yeah our introduction to Michael, however, happens at the backroom poker game. One of the players mentions that he remembered Michael wanting to open up a bar at one point. What happened with that? It was a good location. Yeah, my partner kept saying that, too. It says a lot without saying so much that he's tried to get out before and it didn't pan out. Really great introduction while well, also still keeping some mystique.
0: Yep, and that's uh, Brian Koppelman is the is the annoying guy. That, uh, oh, yeah, he lost, <laughs> lost some weight, bought some hair, too. Yeah, uh, yeah with your money. <laughs> <laughs> and in this kind of very cinematic down an elevator, you know, illegal poker game that's, you know, in Chinatown somewhere, just, a, yeah, just a real like, who is this guy? You really get a lot out of it. Yeah. And and his partner, as we find out, turns out to be somebody who he should not have trusted for several reasons. But that's right. Yeah.
1: He heads out. He returns a call that he missed. It says, Michael, you got to come. A huge client of mine just hit someone with his car. Seems to be sober. And as he heads to this guy's place, his GPS is on the fritz, representative perhaps of him being lost emotionally uh, as well. <laughs> 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 it's also kind of funny to just stick George in a car on the Cross Bronx Expressway and say, "All right, buddy, start driving. We're right, right behind you." <laughs> yeah, go to Westchester.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's the movie does a lot of fun timeline stuff, and then and then you and you know, then you kind of go back into it and you see it from the other angle. You know, it's like a. Uh, Rushamon type thing right kind of thing where you see it from different characters perspective or whatever but but it's I always think of Lion King one and a half which is the dumbest possible version of that but that's the one that I, <laughs> I
1: recently of. watched actually <laughs> it's
0: like oh what it was well, you see the whole movie from Timon and Pumbaa's perspective okay because there's still a lot of stuff that went on that we didn't see apparently And I don't necessarily always love the timeline stuff and like movies that start kind of in media, you know, where it's like, you know, six months earlier or, you know, three days earlier. But uh, it really works in this because I think by the end, it's a very satisfying kind of filling in of all the of all the details.
1: Yeah, it's also impactful because there is a huge question mark that they leave like open for most of the movie. Then they like the car explodes. Spoiler alert for a couple minutes from now when we're talking about (laughs) it. But like, to have that lingering over the whole movie, you go, how is this, like, where, what, is, what gets him to this point is so, so great. It hooks you in so effectively.
0: It's just really good stuff. Yeah, it's really great. And and it's, looking back on it, like, watching it another time, you know, after seeing it all the way through, you're like, oh, yeah, no wonder he, like, didn't give a shit about this rich asshole who hit somebody. <laughs> like, you know, like he's got a lot, there's a lot going on right now that we didn't know about, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. at that time. And... And that he didn't know about, you know, that there was a bomb in his car when he was having a conversation with this idiot, right? But uh, you know, Arthur had, you know, his friend was his like best friend at work or whatever you want to call him, you know, had just suspiciously overdosed, and you know, everyone else at work is basically happy about it because he'd become inconvenient. There's a lot of stuff going on where it's like this is pretty disgusting stuff. Anyway, now I got to help this guy who clearly should be in trouble, but needs me to get him out of it.
1: Yeah. Dented car is one in a line of several luxury vehicles. He's making excuse after excuse. But when Michael tries to talk frankly with him and does try to help him with like a a proper recommendation, this guy goes, I don't like how this is going. Bring Walter back.
0: Right. I want to call the uh, like the corporate partner who has nothing to do with any kind of criminal. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like there's one thing about, you know, about I'm sure many professions, but about law like if you are, if you're a guy who does like deal documents all day for, you know, for these big corporate mergers or whatever this guy does, right. He's a banker or something, some kind of rich guy. You don't know anything about how to deal with, you know, like city cops, you know, or or like, you know, state police, like what, that what's smart what's not smart how to handle you know and it's just not part of your daily thing so you know people like that would not hire themselves as their lawyer you know what i mean so right. this, guy, well, this guy walter is not gonna has nothing to offer you you know what i mean it's already it's, the wheels are already in motion buddy like you're you know it's you, you got to just take what you can get at that point
1: yeah walter promised him a miracle worker michael's like i'm a janitor yeah. dude <laughs> there's no play here there's no champagne yeah. room Ooh, it's good. <laughs> and Dennis, like you said, Dennis O'Hare as this rich dickhead at the beginning is amazing. It does set the tone and let you see how Clayton works. Apparently, this character was originally supposed to be older, but Dennis came in for another role, and they felt this casting made it better than it was on the page, not only because of the performance itself, but because the character had more to lose with some youth to him. You know, he's not the youngest man, but he certainly still has plenty to go and he's worked hard to get to this point in his life uh, or had had it handed to him probably in some capacity, but you know, there is a uh, he sees it all slipping away and he had uh, plans on enjoying it for much longer. So that youth I think is interesting to add to the character.
0: Yeah, and also like realistically, what's going to happen to this guy? You know what I mean? Like, y- yeah. y- you know, even if he doesn't take anyone's advice, you know, he's not going to jail for a hundred. You know, I mean, if the if the if the guy in the bike is dead, I guess you know because he doesn't know, obviously, then that's you know. But even still, you know, you spend right. enough money, you're probably looking at you know, I don't know, you Slap probably on the probably, probably won't even go. To, probably wouldn't even go to jail. You know, I mean, yeah. obviously, it's devastating for his reputation and you know, et cetera, et cetera, at the at the country club or whatever, but. <laughs> You know, I, I, in terms of real consequences, I'm not sure that there is going to be a whole lot there. But again, someone like that can't even tolerate sort of social consequences or, or financial consequences, you know, within the services you have to pay for. You know, he wants it to just be gone, which yeah. seems difficult to imagine how that would happen because yeah. because he's, he's spinning through all these theories and it's like. Yeah, you know. Okay, yeah. Someone stole your car and hit a guy, and and what? You know, what I mean, like, what? What's the, what's the? And next? also,
1: actually, that thief shouldn't even get in trouble because the bank is. They changed the angle, right, and now exactly. there's these crazy lights. Take that. You take the angle, etc., and so on. Yeah. Uh, also, fun fact: Clooney won the Oscar for Syriana the night before they filmed this scene, so he was riding high going oh, into he's, it. He's got that extra <laughs> juice. You can feel it. Yeah. He takes a drive on the road in question as dawn breaks. Some horses judge him from the top of a hill, strong, quiet, serene, very pastoral scene that he gets out of the car and climbs into. He's desperate to escape. Tony said the horses lived on that hill for a month to make them comfortable for the shoot. It's kind of funny to just like drop them off and be like, all right, see you in 30 days.
0: That's great. Yeah, I didn't know. That's, that's a fun one. I, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it's yeah, there's, there's that feeling of everything in like the civilized world, quote unquote, is so grim and and disgusting that, yeah, you just want to, I just want to go look at some, like, oh, cool, like, anything that's not that is, like, the best thing ever, so of course he's going to get out of his car and just kind of, you know, stare at a
1: horse, you know, and obviously there's all the stuff. The horse can't manipulate anybody. Exactly.
0: (laughs) You know, and, and and, and and there's some of it probably, you know, his son's book kicking around in his head, you know, uh, you know, what is it? A realm and conquests and, you know, it's the fantasy stuff, you know, who who knows, but, but it is just like a, it's a striking thing to have him just kind of be like, I need to just get away from anything that isn't, you know, nature basically.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's uh, I think it's great that you mentioned the book because I didn't realize this, until they point it out in the commentary. But when he's flipping through the book later, there is a picture of several horses just like chilling. And so he's like, oh, this is an image that I recognize from the book. And that's part of why he climbs out as well.
0: And he looked at so, the book, which means he's like, uh, you know, well, he looked at it enough that he
1: remembers. He's a good father he's now. <laughs> a decent dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he turns, uh, oh, also all the driving in the movie is practical. They said, it looks really good, but it was really hard to do. And we'll never do it again. That, and they said, never write the words just before dawn. (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
0: I would imagine that would be, that's a huge pain in the ass. Yeah, that that makes (laughs) sense.
1: He turns around suddenly, though, as the horses are scared off because his car has exploded. What the hell? Cut to four days earlier. There it is. There it is. We're in a kid's room as he gets ready for custody transfer. Uh, Dude has not one, but two Evangelion toys in his room hanging on the lamp, which He seems a little young for that show, but that's cool. Good taste, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Dad is, of course, Michael. This is Henry, his son, who regales him with this book that he's been reading. A lot of characters with no allegiances, hiding in the woods, trying to survive. They're completely paranoid about the others. What if one of them is your mortal enemy? Not only does this, of course, describe the state that we uh, are living in, but it also demonstrates that Henry is frustrated with the amount of effort that Mike is putting into fatherhood. I also found it kind of ironic that he asked Dad want to bet when we having seen the movie now know that he has a gambling problem. Oh yes, that's 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 funny. Yeah.
0: I yeah, the, the, I love him describing the book because it's 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 such a little kid telling us like <laughs> <laughs> it, there are things like that. Where he could be giving the most like cut and dry, simple explanation of what this book is about, but there is things that you just can't describe without sounding like a total, you know what I mean. And if you were an adult explaining it, you would sound like an eight year old kid too, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, but nobody knows. And and then also, and and it's like the classic, like, yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm sure I did this to my parents too, but it's just like, uh huh, oh yeah, that's yeah, that's really interesting, uh huh. And then we, later we have obviously have Arthur who's completely enraptured by this, and and t- you know takes it much more seriously but um, it's it's such a great little kid thing I I, I really yeah because it, it is like a the family stuff or the, the like his son and and the you know the it, it doesn't really it, it's that's like the only part that's like not like essential to sort of like the you know what I mean the rest of the plot right I mean like right. having his having a family obviously his mm-hmm. you know the stuff with the bar and his brother both of his brothers you know ha, play important roles and everything but like his you know his kid other than just kind of you know, this is another dimension of his life, but it, it does, it is nice that it does play in, in a, in a meaningful way other than just, Oh yeah. It also he's got a kid, you know, cause that, right. cause that's <laughs> kind of doesn't really do anything for, for me personally, you know, but I'm kind of biased against like kid roles in movies in general, you know, or teen roles, especially because it's like, you know, a lot of the time they're, they're lousy, but,
1: the, but yeah, the, that's uh, a risk, but that's uh, a risk for not much reward. If you're just doing it for that, just, <laughs> Oh, he's also
0: got a kid. Yeah.
1: But it's just, it's, it, it, it works. So. Definitely, and apparently Tony wrote a
0: few actual chapters for the book, so that's fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I would love to get a prop, get a prop version of Realm and Conquest. Like, buy it yeah. from some auction site and then just put it up on the uh, put it up on the shelf and see if yeah. anyone see if anyone ever notices. <laughs> one of my like three friends that I talk about this movie all the time would be like, "Is that? Uh, yep, yes, it is." Just like very conspicuously
1: reading one night, <laughs> yeah, just checking it out. <laughs> He's at an auction for the stuff at Tim's, the bar we heard mentioned, and it's not going well. He's going to be about 75K short to cover the debts of the eponymous brother, Tim, part of a tumultuous life, apparently. Meanwhile, Tilda is getting ready for this interview. I love seeing her practice, like getting the exact intonation that she wants to use in the mirror, and also having this cut through the conversation as well. It apparently wasn't cut this way in the script. But it's the first footage that he sent back to John. And John was like, I'm going to try something a little different. Meanwhile, Tony's like, oh, God, my brother is fucking with me on the first damn weekend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a great – the comparison of what she's like in private and what she's like in public is such a great – it is a really stark and and great. And yeah, I mean even if you know – because it's such a – it should not be hard because you know what the questions are clearly. You've already written your answers. But – it also says a lot about her that she had to like actually write the answers and can't kind of off the cuff it, you know what I mean? she's like, for
1: those softballs, right?
0: Exactly. <laughs> like nothing can be left to any kind, you know? And, and then when she actually has to do some, some improvising, obviously she, uh, she uh, fucks everything up. Um, That's more right. Or less.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In this interview, she's bragging about her company, U North, and the diverse legal issues that they deal with across the globe as in house counsel, they outsource it to local firms who know the legalese of the area. Uh, she also says, balance, that's something you search for your whole life, which is the answer she gives after trying on several that are clearly bullshit to reinforce that she does not have it and has not
0: found it. So, yeah, this is this is it. And that's what the, you know, it's, it's good for her. The company, you know, I'm sure the company is very proud of her. Not, right. uh, not having uh, anything else going on in her life but the company. So.
1: Yeah. <laughs> She's interrupted by an urgent matter though. Arthur Edens has just stripped down naked in a deposition room in Milwaukee. And this is the man who we heard at the beginning. We hear it again as Michael boards the plane to see what the hell was going on and he says, "I admit it, the nudity was a mistake. It was wrong, it was lame, it was obvious and therapeutically it was completely useless." <laughs> great line and, and i love you cuts. uh yeah
0: i mean the, in this case it should be said it's about a, a weed killer or you know this is like a monsanto level conglomerate like huge company and and or dupont or you know take your pick but it's and it leashed into the water and it gave a bunch of people diseases right that's basically what, what's right. going on and the deposition is of somebody who uh, her like whole family basically died except for one of her siblings, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, they were on, they worked on the farm on a farm and, uh, and yeah, it's, he's, he's, he's presumably his, he's there to probably poke holes and everything she's saying basically. And, uh, instead he's taking off his clothes and saying he loves her and he's <laughs> sorry. And th- these are not things that you want your lawyer to say in a, in a billion dollar uh, lawsuit.
1: No, it's true. 400 depositions, 100 motions, five changes of venue, 8,500 documents in discovery. I've spent six years of scheming and stalling and screaming. And for what? I've spent 12% of my life defending the reputation of a deadly weed killer. That is that when you
0: the percentage thing is striking and upsetting, honestly, brutal, Uh, (laughs) because you don't want to think about that with anything in your own life either. Like, what have I been doing for however long? I will say 8500 documents is weirdly not that many so I'm not really sure uh, I think it would be that's sort of a weird one to me maybe because it's not electronic but but Oh
1: excuse me I misread it's
0: 85000 I did even 85, fuck that even 85, up okay. 85000 is not that many unless that's documents and not pages mm. you know cuz maybe cuz but I mean you know if you're talking these big locations yeah that, that, but 85000 is certainly getting getting more in the ballpark
1: closer closer yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> cuz again like if you're you north You are producing everything that's ever come across anyone's desk in an effort to hide anything that's bad and make it impossible for this, you know, plaintiff's counsel to comb through everything and find anything bad, you know, find anything that that they actually would want to use. That's the idea.
1: Right, right. He says they have 30,000 billable hours on the U-North account, and he and Marty went to a brothel to celebrate, and to make it last, he started doing this math, and that's a big mistake. How many years has he been defending this chain of molecules that killed perfect Anna's parents and brother? And, well, the brother is not actually dead yet, but dying. He uh, This gives them cancer, they said. Yeah. Michael says, if you were going to go off your meds, you promised to call first. Arthur says, sue me. (laughs) Very funny. (laughs) $50 in fees, senior litigating partner, and an accomplice. Manic depressive, and Shiva, the god of death. They have this back and forth. You know, it's so difficult to have somebody, like, be like, You were doing the right thing when you feel in your core that it is so wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was doing his job, right? But the problem is that his job is not – he's realizing that it's not really uh, the right thing to be doing. So that's –
1: yeah. Tilda's character is watching the deposition video where it happened. Anna was testifying about the note left by her mother. This is when Arthur broke down and she gets briefed on Michael how he's special counsel he's not a partner he kind of worked in like uh, wills and trusts i believe is was his specialty before That's correct and i think he was a prosecutor for a little while before
0: that Right in the DA's office Yeah yeah he's not even partner you know what i mean he's yeah he's just kind of this guy who's like just it's was it? and it's true you would kind of be like who what this is the guy like who is this what like is he yeah. even involved in this case Right <laughs> but that's that's who they got And That's him Yeah
1: Arthur is lying in bed. Henry called for Michael, but Arthur picked up. So Henry is telling him all about the book. Arthur is like, okay, I am picking up on the metaphor of how this relates to me. (laughs) When the characters (laughs) are all having a dream calling them, but they think it's just to them and they're going crazy. So they don't want to admit it. And it's like, okay, this is clearly an Arthur stand in here. Meanwhile, Michael is having a meeting with Karen, which is going very poorly. She wants an explanation, but doesn't want to actually hear it when it's provided she says we pay him for his time. They in the commentary described this moment as rusted out charm, and that he's so worn down he can't even bring himself to be pleasant to this woman. And I just think that's such a great descriptor of what of like how he is feeling just. Like he's falling apart. Yeah, like he is molecularly is changing.
0: Yeah, and he's he's like got nothing left. And once it's clear that she's not buying it, like the pretense just drops because what's the point? You know, like that's kind of, that's kind of where it ends up, right? Which makes sense because yeah. if somebody's not, he's got no good answers. So if if she's not buying his little act and she's not googly eyed when he sits down and is like, "Oh, you're kind of an interesting guy." then there's nothing to say. Yeah. He, what do you want me to say? You know, you assume for malpractice, you know what I mean? That's, right. that's where we're headed here. Probably, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> or worse, which is obviously where we get to, but yeah, there's not a whole lot you can really offer if you're him and his job is just to kind of do damage control
1: basically. Right. So definitely. And she does storm off to her hotel room. I think that this is really interesting that over and over and over again, we see these hotel rooms and motel rooms really sort of looking at the displacement of, burden of what these people are doing to themselves
0: yeah and you have like the three drone you know young associates who are just there who have been li- living and breathing this for however long probably and then their whole life gets blown up you know for the for all intents purposes like what are we supposed to do like we're supposed to keep doing depositions and arthur was the he's the boss like, what do we, what do you, you know, and michael's like just keep doing it it's fine and yeah, it's a very, it's a very interesting thing to think about because there are all kinds of people that work a ton that are not involved in this intrigue at all. Are just like, whoa, whoa, like this guy like took his clothes off and now, but like <laughs> we have three more of these things this week. Are we supposed to just do them or who's taking the deposition? Like, are we, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a very interesting yeah, and one of them is Catherine Watterson. There's a lot of kind of very small, blink and you'll miss it, like people who are like, "Oh, we like uh, Ma- uh, Maggie Sif." <laughs> hey. Maggie Sif is in it for a second. She says, "Like, did Arthur or did uh, did Marty get you or something?" Like she she says something to Michael like very quickly, and she's in it for like literally one second. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a fun little fun little thing to see.
1: Definitely. And so Karen calls to bring in Vern. Excuse me, Mister Vern. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, get Jim Varney in there. R.
1: R-, R- I. P. The King. This is while looking at a confidential report saying they know about the damage this weed killer does, which was in Arthur's bag to her consternation. A few great things about this scene. One is the gentle, like, voice modulation on Vern's side that makes me think it's, like, part of the discretion tactics. Mm -hmm. Also, when it's revealed that Karen has, like, a plastic bag glove on to handle stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Arthur has escaped the next morning, though. He's covered his tracks with the sound of the shower, and he wrote a note that says, Make believe it's not madness scrawled on the wall. We think it's referring to him, but he is, of course, talking about what they do. I also going back and revisiting this because I watched it a bunch of times in preparation, not only for the commentary, but just because it's a fucking great movie. And so there's a moment later on where they're talking about how there's no way that he wouldn't leave a note before killing himself and he couldn't. Go to the bathroom without right. a memo. You couldn't take a piss without writing a memo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here he did le- – left a, a note just to fucking dash out the motel. Yeah. I think that this is really where Michael is like – it doesn't add up. Like that's kind of the tipping point for him where he says, I have to get in there and see what the deal is. So that's like a nice little uh, foreshadow I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. And he's he's got the guy – He he bribes the, you know, the cop or whatever to watch him overnight, Mm -hmm. you know, or, and he says, you know, if you have any Nick Nick's tickets or what, you know, whatever it is, that's, that's another small role for an actor. who's another stuff. I I don't know his name, but he was in the wire, right? He's one of the, uh, was he one of the report?
1: I forget which season it is, but
0: yeah, just, just a real smorgasbord of just like, oh, Hey, it's that person. Yeah.
1: (laughs) The lawyers are searching Arthur's office. There's a photo of better times with his wife now dead and daughter, not on speaking terms and abroad Mars. Yeah. Michael comes in and they're pissed. You need to get this guy under control. They want him committed and they explicitly say they don't care where just to make this company who has knowingly produced and sold deadly weed killer to be happy.
0: It is existential for them, too, because they're working on some kind of merger or something. And if this like those things are very fragile and if if they find out that there's like a potential malpractice claim is huge, like blow up and it's a huge reputational hit, I'm sure it would Mm -hmm. be you know it doesn't take much for something like that to just teeter into you know and then you get taken over and people get kicked pushed out and you know who knows what so yeah, yeah. i mean it is a big it is a big problem for them there's there's no question I, you know i how sympathetic they are is a different different issue but uh right <laughs> purely on the just on the and the black and white analysis of it yeah there's there's a lot there's a lot of problems that are just causing and unfortunately yeah the only one who knows anything about how to get people committed is uh is arthur so um, right not that they couldn't hire outside counsel, but they probably want to keep it in-house as much as they can so no one has to hear about what happened. Exactly.
1: Meanwhile, Arthur is just wandering in a crowd in Times Square, enjoying being with the people. There is a guy watching him in contact with a guy breaking into his place. We've already seen that these are the U-North goons, Mr. Vern and Mr. Iker, And one of them is, like, messing around in the medicine cabinet when Michael calls, hoping to find Arthur. No luck, so he leaves a message on the machine, but it's full. This is machine number, message number 40. People are upset. They've been calling and calling and calling. Think about how many emails he probably has. Oh boy. I'm sure. I'm sure. Michael admits in the message that he actually agrees that U North sucks and the case sucks, but Arthur's behavior is out of control. The mailbox is full, though, and like I said, this doesn't actually stick. Meanwhile, Arthur is seeing an ad for U North out in Times Square, uh, conspicuously above a bus wrap for Wicked, which I thought was fun. <laughs> Arthur calls Anna, the woman who was deposed in the video, and the goons are listening in on the call. And the mob is calling in um, Michael's debts in a week. They say appearance is everything. His 12K looks bad because that's all he has to offer. I also do wonder, you know, they mentioned earlier that he was in the mob task force in the DA's office. I kind of wonder if that's how he got in on the games, maybe a little corruption, led him down this path. These little details that aren't explicit about his backstory, but sort of give you details to fill it in yourself with, like, oh, here's what it might be.
0: Yeah, you de- you definitely get the sense he knew who to call to get the loan from those days, right? Uh, or at least became mm-hmm. aware of kind of the channels to go through. Yeah, yeah. You don't have you don't have the seventy thousand? Not lying around. No, it's a lease.
1: Right. Yeah. Everything's from the office. Yeah. The car is theirs. So Michael asks for a loan from Bach eighty k. And and he's there's a merger happening that's gonna put Michael out on the street and he's freaking out. I only opened the bar because I wanted a way out, or even just to be back on the litigation team. I was good at it. He screams and in the commentary they said this is Michael's lowest point.
0: Yeah, and it says you know with that with that good old day stuff you want to keep it keep it there leave it there okay because you might find out you're not as good
1: as you remember you know blah 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 that's that's the uh, that's the big Pollock moment. Right. You have a niche. you have, That's what everybody wants. When did you get so delicate? Yeah. He asks after declining the loan, at least until Arthur is under control. I gotta say, you know, something that's always struck me, too, is that, that he only asks for
0: because this is like a sh- this is basically a shakedown, right? I mean, like he says, it's not and, you know, whatever. But like in, in, in a sense, it is because it's like, well, we got a really big problem that you need me to fix, right? And I'm going to fix it. He's not saying he's not going to do it. He's not saying he's going to mess it up or anything like that, you know. Well,
1: maybe you should have.
0: But, well, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he only asks for, like, uh, you know, enough to, I guess, just to make sure he's got enough, right? On top of, you know, and he's going to sign this three year, all this, all these onerous, you know, NDA, all this stuff, basically give up all his leverage forever. When you're in a position like him, you know, he clearly doesn't have a lot of money saved up 80 grand. It's all going out the window to the, to this, you know, to the loan sharks. He's not even getting ahead. You know, he's just getting back to zero. It's, it's just a, what a situation he's created for himself here. You know? Yeah. Nightmare, nightmare stuff.
1: Henry is getting dragged along while Michael looks for Arthur, who he finds carrying 17 baguettes, including the one he gives Michael. Did you count them? I I did count them. I have never counted them. That's funny. The number is 17. (laughs) He's also maybe wearing multiple scarves, and I was like, that could be mania or it could be 2007's fashion. That's true. It's hard to tell. (laughs) It was a weird time somebody apparently took 18 hours to clear this alley of snow and then dry it so that they could shoot there. God.
0: Yeah. And that's some like random Tribeca alley, right? I assume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, cause, yeah. It, cause it, cause it looks it obviously. Yeah. That's, that's movie magic right there.
1: Right. <laughs> God, what a mess. That's really funny. As good as it feels, you know, where this goes said Michael and Arthur retorts. No, what makes it feel good is that I don't know where it goes. <laughs> Not what you want to hear. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's distraught to hear that they know what he's been doing with the case. But Michael pleads with him to let him help. But he walks away after some more intense exchange that makes it clear he's not going willingly. He at least has enough retention of his faculties to be like, you don't want to see me in court if it comes to, like, you trying to commit me. The
0: last place you want to see me is in court. Ooh. Yeah, he's when he goes in when he goes into that mode, man, it's so good. Obviously, you think he got the horses for that is is a classic. He's got the he's got the statute and this and the legal standard ready to go. Like Mm -hmm. he's just like this is yeah. I mean, and there's no reason for him to know this stuff other than to prepare for this kind of situation. (laughs) Like it's not like it's something he would come across ever. You know, it's just wonderful stuff. And and, and the the guy, I'm I'm your friend. Like the, the. what are you you know it's just he's he's he's
1: amazing it's really great and that night he calls the law office and basically records himself into the record discussing this smoking gun document and it says that not only is it causing this cancer with particulates getting into the water and not only did they know about it this was actually a cost-benefit analysis to adding something that let people know something was wrong and they said it would require a complete redesign, so just keep it as it is. And all the higher ups signed off on this decision, including the
0: big man himself, Don Jeffries. The, the DJ,
1: w- come on, dog! <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I, you don't need you don't need me to tell you what that means. Uh, right? <laughs> yeah, severe <laughs> tissue damage. Yeah, all that. I mean, yeah, it's like cartoonishly bad. Insane that it was in writing. I mean, it's you know, it's some scientists covering their ass. Again, not a you know, just from a if you're doing any kind of malfeasance, it's not a document you really want to exist. So, so you know, pick yeah, up, pick up the phone. That's not it's <laughs> not, not something you wanna you wanna have out there, especially if you're doing evil deeds. So yeah, I, I love that he does the. Um, he's got a great sense of of uh, of, of style where he is playing the little you north audio underneath the ad that you know we plant mm-hmm. the seed you know and that little <laughs> and stopping it and rewinding it to make sure everyone can it, it's soundtrack in the whole thing and it's also bla- making it so you can't i guess he thinks he's being although maybe not cuz i mean he, he he like is suspicious about his phone being tapped or you know based on what michael said to him like how do they know that how do they know who i'm calling but you know he's calling them so maybe he's not worried about them over here cuz he's just doing it to them anyway so never mind <laughs>
1: Well, now looped in, Tilda is like, oh, geez, I just wish I could think of a way to contain this. And the goon is like, well, we could try and steal the paper, the data, maybe. And she's like, yes, yes. Or... Do you guys have anything else? (laughs) Yeah. He does pick up what she's putting down, though. I love this moment where he asks if they should bring Don in on this. And she's extremely insulted. How fucking dare you try to go over my head? particularly cutting because she is out of her depth. Clearly yeah. we've talked about how bad she is at improvising and he is like, I don't think this is a good idea. That's clearly the path he's trying to lead her away from. Doesn't work out though. Yeah. You'd think again, ass covering
0: you, you, you want to bring Don in on this. I don't know what you're doing to protect him. You're, you're, you're throwing yourself on the, you know, but she obviously doesn't think it's going to go as sideways as it goes.
1: Yeah. I think she just wants to protect that image of competence. Right. And, and if, if he's like, Oh, you're letting this shit happen. I'm you're out. You're out. She's, Karen. Yeah.
0: She's, she's, she, there's also that great little moment where he's like, so is that a go as in, you know, like, she, like, she, yeah. like, like, a, like what, like what are we talking about here? Where they have to like clarify what she, cause she's trying to be like wink, wink. And he's like, mm-hmm. I need you to say what I'm doing, you know, like I yeah. need you to be clear here. Cause this
1: is a, uh, yeah. We deal in absolutes. Yeah. Great fun homage to a network with them out there. And then it turns into this wild murder. I felt like I kept waiting for it to turn into like, a Mulholland Drive comedy of errors, where that guy is trying to get the little black book, and he shoots the lady in the office next to them, and everything. Oh yeah! And instead, they're just like grimly effective. It's, <laughs> it's it, it, it. No matter how
0: many times you see it, it really is like a. There's moments in you know where things turn a little bit, and it is like us. Oh, bums me out. You know what I mean? Like as much as mm-hmm. I, as much as I love. <laughs> the movie and love rewatching it it is just kind of like uh it's like it's like I, I think about like american psycho the same kind of thing where that movie's so fun before once all like the murders start happening and all that stuff it's like it's obviously less fun for in a variety at least for me but like the parts with all like the business cards and they go to the club and they're weird yeah. dancing in their suits and stuff <laughs> you know and all the sort of 80s like lingo all that stuff is like super in it, but but this is like that where it's like man this movie's so great and then you just get arthur twitching his hands and his foot oh. you know when they get him you know First they hit him with that inhale, like the paralyzing inhaler, which I don't know what that was, and then they, uh, then they, they get him between the toes. Just, um, yeah, a really, really unpleasant and, and like you said, grimly effective. They, they're, you know, you better hit it. You know, they, they know what they're doing, and they, they get it done. it, it it's funny because it doesn't seem like, doesn't seem like they need to be as. Incredibly, like fast as they are, you know what I mean. Like it's not like anybody's (laughs) looking for some, you know, and they they have time to clean up. Nobody knows where he is. It's not like he has a meeting in ten minutes, and they got you know somebody has to come (laughs) in and find him. You know, it's sort of strange. Yeah,
1: I don't know. Yeah, I you you mentioned sort of the twitching and everything. The camera just like slowly zooming in on his face, and you still hear the noise of them bustling around in the background and like cleaning things up. Just heartbreaking. They didn't rehearse the movie overall, but these guys rehearsed this scene for a month and pays off. This was one take; wow. they nailed it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, that that's a yeah. It, it definitely comes across as rehearsed in a, in a in a in a realistic and good way, not in like a yeah. you know, it's not like choreographed like a dance sequence or something. But but it's very. This is how they would. This is how guys like this would accomplish something like this. And it is very. There's no music. There's no like long pan on, you know, like, this is like the end of Arthur, this guy that we've gotten to know. It's very just like, okay, now he's garbage. You know what I mean? Like the, like the second he's not breathing, you know, the, the second his heart's not beating anymore. Like, okay, now you know it's like, that's it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a stark moment across town. Tim shows up at Mike's father's house with Mike also there, because it's Mike's father's birthday. This is after Michael Clayton has been one foot out the door the whole time. He took a light remark about Tim's sickness causing him to fall off the wagon, which is going around pretty personally. On the commentary, they said this was actually their neighborhood growing up. They were just down
0: the hill as lads. Oh, yeah, they're from they're from up in, uh, what are they, like Orange County or somewhere, right? They're, they're right. in, like, yeah, 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 It's uh, yeah. Are you one?
1: Are you two? Are, oh, are you three? So funny. <laughs> and they
0: get like genuinely mad? It's, Shut up. <laughs> enough.
1: <laughs> There's also this moment I really like where one of the guests is clearly like asking him for a favor and you just like get this all the time. Doctors, can you look at this? Lawyers, can you handle oh, this? yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah.
0: It's like, yeah, I'll call you about that. Ugh. <laughs> I love that they call him Mickey. That's a fun little mm-hmm. thing that, yeah, because it's such a, he's created a very different world mm-hmm. and a different persona. But he's he's still no matter how much of a big shot you know he thinks he is or whatever, you know he's still Mickey to these people,
1: yeah, I also think it's really interesting to introduce Tim so late, you know you hear about him and you start thinking, oh, he's just not going to actually be in the movie right, and then he he shows up and does so much with so little he's sober eight days now, and he wants forgiveness I want you which to know Michael that. can't give him, yeah that's all I think about. how do I yeah, yeah, give her, her hubcaps back. <laughs> And as Michael drives away with Henry, he has to stop and give him a little speech to Henry. It's also really to himself about how tough Henry is, and that's good. You won't be like that, looking up and wondering why shit is falling around you. And they do connect for a moment. In the commentary, they were like, if you've ever raised kids, they take praise in really weird ways. (laughs) And Here, this child just sort of lets in this weird speech. Like, it's not... It's a very bizarre thing that he says to him. It's but, a very uh, grown
0: up thing to say to like an eight year old kid. Yeah. It's yeah. very, you know, like the, the sky's falling around you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. On your, on your worst day on your worst. And yeah, it's very, it's almost strange, but it works within the context of the movie, but it, but it is a, uh, yeah. The kid's like, okay, <laughs> growing up a little bit today,
1: you know, that's right. And this is interrupted by a phone call, which is about Arthur. It's been framed as a suicide pills all over the place. They clarify in the commentary that what they saw when they were digging through his apartment the first night uh, is the medication that he had. And so they use that as the drug to force an overdose with the injection. Okay. That makes the cops not look any further than that. They just want to close the case. They say he has this prescription. He's in this maniac state. Yeah. Done and dusted, they say. On top of that, the place is sealed for weeks. So that's it, Michael. Sorry, pal. Apparently that actor uh, who he talks to was actually a cop who became an actor. He's another one that's like those guys who you just see all the time was an actual cop. Yeah, he was in in Dexter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, He and and his wife
0: are both uh, shitbag cops, according to uh, Michael's brother. We find out.
1: (laughs) Now I got to owe a favor to these people. Yeah. Michael's at the wake now. Someone leaves a conversation with Bach on the phone to go to work. Classic leaving funerals. (laughs) Bach and Mike mourn Arthur. Uh, They can't quite figure out how to make it make sense, as I talked about, but they look at each other and admit it. We caught a lucky break, as Bach says. Also, U North is settling, apparently, in principle, at least. They said, get out before someone can get a hold of this information. <laughs>
0: it's a motivational dead zone, I believe they said, because yeah. they're working on contingency. So there's only so much. Yeah, it's very. Right. yep yeah.
1: Michael goes to call Anna the muse and her sister says she's in New York, dog. How could you leave her at the airport like that? is a like young this?
0: girl, an innocent girl. Yeah.
1: Oh, the goons are watching the inn that she's at and who should arrive but old Mikey Clayton. Mickey, he's here. Yeah. Not and, what you uh, want she,
0: if you're these guys. It's like, okay, this guy's like following the. He's like a he's like a bloodhound here. This is not this is
1: not good. He's unraveling. He's on the trail. Yeah, uh, she talks about feeling stupid for believing Arthur. Uh, this scene is another. It's an homage to Clute specifically. They said, and Michael he he's on the trail. He says you didn't tell anyone, so something must be wrong. Like he expected that she did disappoint him, and that was why he killed himself. Uh, And she says, no, I didn't tell anybody. And she promised. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Merit Weaver, really spectacular in this scene. I mean, she's
0: just knocks it out of the park. Very, very innocent. And yeah, I mean, just like exactly what you almost see why he's like, you know, sees her as this kind of pinnacle of virtue. Yeah, exactly. And the antithesis of everything that they're doing.
1: Michael leverages a favor to get the seal so he can break into the apartment and seal it back up nice and tidy. He's got to see what's out of place. And there is champagne and two glasses in the fridge, so he definitely didn't kill himself. He's on board with that theory now. And he goes through the documents, nothing, until he sees the book with the red cover that Henry has been blabbering about this whole damn movie. He flips through. He stops on this peaceful images of a horse on a hill. The book is covered in notes from Adams that say that he was actually reading it. Gravity also reveals something huge, a receipt for a copyplace order. Now the goons had tracked Michael there, and they call the cops. This scene is wild. They're so over the top. It's like grimly funny because they are like stuttering in terror at having to confront him, and this makes them threaten to blow his head off. It's so terrifyingly real. Where he's like, "I am just like holding a book," and they're ready to kill him. Whoa, 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 yeah. Like two cops like on their first like their first day, both of them. Yeah. He is arrested. His brother calls in even more favors to get him out. And Michael is like, who called 911? This makes no sense. But the brother doesn't want to hear it. You got all these cops thinking you're a lawyer and all these lawyers thinking you're some kind of cop. You got everybody fooled except you. You know exactly what you are. Yeah. Presumably, that's a piece of shit, I guess, is the implication. It's a janitor. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. It turns out it was 3,000 copies of the report at the copy place, now given the title of the book, Summons to Conquest, or the chapter that uh, that was so revealing illuminating for, for Arthur. Michael gives the kid 50 bucks to hold him there for a week. Thanks, man. Then leaves. Yeah, so funny. Uh, the goon is there with a funny, wry expression on his face, which really made me laugh. <laughs> uh, and then the kid is Sam Gilroy, which is Tony's son. And uh, his wife is also Michael Clayton's sister-in-law that we saw give him a little kiss. And he was like, my wife was so happy to give Clooney (laughs) a kiss that day. (laughs) (laughs) He reports back to Karen with Mike heading to the office. Box says, hey, we did it. We're going to cut you this check with strings attached like a bulletproof and retroactive confidentiality agreement. Mike doesn't want to talk about the money, though. He wants to talk about Arthur, who he is now agreeing is correct. And Marty says, this is news? I got to tell you after 15 years how we pay the rent? If he went public, this whole firm is tanked. And Bach walks out. You get this amazing shot where you have all this negative space in the vacuum where the other people in the room were. You really feel how alone Michael Clayton is. He literally has the dilemma in his hands, the check and the report. And he's so isolated. Yep. He squares up the debt, paid in full at the restaurant, and he takes the last five k to the poker game that we saw at the beginning. Meanwhile, a goon plants the explosive we saw earlier in the car. But he left too quick because this guy was being an- a fucking annoying guy to play poker with down there. Yep. So he gets out there, and the goons didn't get the bomb planted quite right, which is why the GPS was all fucked up. So the pieces are falling into place. There was a scene that they shot. Where they discuss the bomb and how loud it is compared to the assassination of Arthur. And they said that is purposeful to make it look as different as possible so that they don't get connected. Mm -hmm. And it's meant to be a Russian bomb taking him out for his gambling problem. And then John cut it out for pacing. And Tony was like, I get fucking mad when people are like, What is this doesn't make any sense. Why would they do it that way? Because yeah. we shot the scene.
0: <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, there's the scene later where it's like they're in the boardroom and they, it's like, you hear about Michael Clayton? It's like, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. No, it's like, did you hear? Yeah, we settled you north. It's like, no, Michael Clayton. It's like, mm. it's like he's like, car bomb. And they're just like, oh, my God. Because like, it is like, yeah. what? Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Like, that's not what we do. Like, what? Car yeah. bomb? Yeah, it's insane. Mm-hmm.
1: This is a really effective scene, though, despite knowing how it turns out, which is, I think, a very difficult thing to do, because now we go, okay, we've seen how effective these guys are in the Arthur assassination. Yeah. So what went wrong? Now the ticking clock is on to the explosion. What happens between now and then? They follow him. The tracker being fucked means they lose track of him when he goes down a different path. This is where he gets out to look at the horses. And in a panic, the goon explodes it without actually having eyes on they report his death. It passes up the ladder as he hides. He even calls his brother for a ride. He's cashing in all of his chips. It is funny and interesting that the way Michael says what to his brother is the exact same way that his son says what to him when he <laughs> is in the car.
0: Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's Chekhov's Tim, right? Because it's like, what well, exactly. like, this all has a purpose.
1: There's, all, there's a reason for all this. Yep. You get a parallax view reference with the empty convention floor as Karen gives her victory speech to the board. She says the settlement was going to be $3 billion, but it's been strung out long enough that the lawyer fees were going to drop, not to nothing, by the way, just from 40 to 24%. And this is, as she says, a motivational dead zone in her talk to the board. Plus, the tax benefit to it being under $600 million and happening in this fiscal year means it will be completely written off. So there you go. They get away with killing these people. And basically. the memo was right. Right. I mean, you know, it's a little bit of stress.
0: They had, you know, a lot of wheels had to spin for a while and a bunch of people, you know, a bunch of lawyers made a bunch of salary off it. But uh, other than that, yeah, it didn't hurt the company.
1: They take some time to discuss and she heads out. But Michael is waiting for her. Pretty freaky, huh? You see, Arthur, he's wandering around there somewhere. Really funny goof. I like this a lot. (laughs) I I mean, I think
0: I I mean, how's it going in there is something that I it's a very how's it going in there? You know, just yeah. like a, it's, it's just such a, it's, it's, it's never far from my mind. Just a very satisfying, because it's such a satisfying, I mean, that, that whole, this whole sequence in a movie that doesn't have a lot of satisfying stuff in it because it's meant to not be. And it's, and it's not satisfying, you know, it's satisfying briefly and then he kind of, you know, trails off and is staring off into the distance. But like you get this little win, even though at what, you know, it's very a very at what cost thing. But it, it's, man. Sure. Pyrrhic for sure. Owned
1: yeah and this confrontation is great it was one take for the clune dog he's so excited you're so blind karen you should have paid me off not tried to kill me and he demands 10 million dollars or i'll do five to forget arthur five is easier she says and then he says the other five is to forget about the other guys <laughs> got her ass
0: you want 10 million dollars like her she just like, can't
1: even talk <laughs> after they just saved so much money, she, they just said that this is not gonna cost well, their company her, anything. Her
0: problem is she doesn't have the ability to just make 10 million dollars appear right there's That's there, true. There's, That's true. there's no like the money's there and the company if the company knew they'd, the board would fucking pay it right I mean like right. you know, but but the, she doesn't have a 10 million like your the lawyers don't have any like you know she doesn't have the, she can't make that I don't I have no idea how that would even happen. She has to like go to the finance department. Like I, you know, I, I don't know what, maybe there's like, what some, does that line item look like? Right. Maybe Don Jeffrey's <laughs> built in some slush fund or something and she can pull it from that or whatever. But like, there's paper trails for these things. I have no idea how that would happen. Um, so even, even assuming she could do it, I have no idea what that would even involve, but yeah, she's, she's completely like, okay. And all she can do is kind of put them off and be like, fine, done. Like I'll figure it out later. But yes, done,
1: done. Fine. Yes. You know? Yeah. Right. She's desperate for Anything to not pull this out from under her. This victory is within reach. Man, did you see who
0: signed this thing? It's like, why don't we go in there and uh, pass the hat around? And see if Don Jeffries wants to. uh, Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's
1: so good. So she says you have a deal, and he says you are so fucked. <laughs> I love Tony going nice and simple with it. No zippy one liner, really, or gotchas. Just you're fucked. Yep. You know, feels very real.
0: <laughs> you don't want the mon- money. You know, just again. <laughs> Like her mouth is numb. Like she got stung by a bee or something and she just can't even talk. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's a, it's a totally like liminal kind of space that they're in, you know, not to overuse like an Instagram account term or whatever, but, but, but like, it's one of these places that's not like really a place, right? It's like when you're on your Mm -hmm. way into this room or you're kind of, you know, waiting around or there'll be like a, it's where there's, like, if you go to a wedding at one of these places, there'll be, like, a couple of tables for people to kind of, like, stand around at, you know, out there or whatever when they're not, like, on the dance floor. Like, that's, like, right. it's, like, not a real place that this is happening in. Yeah, it's it's, yeah, great scene, obviously. He makes good in some small way, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, he was recording all along. The police come to arrest them. Uh, Karen is co- collapsed on the ground. I really love that they, in the mix, make sure you hear one of them go, does she need medical attention? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Don Jeffries is like, oh, thank God you guys are here, like the police. And then, they're yeah. like, and then they get her. It's like, oh, <laughs> I see. Well, I don't know anything about this, so I'll just, uh, you'll have to excuse me.
1: Clayton looks very satisfied on the way out, but he does become grim, as you say. He sort of just blew up his career. He had nothing. He has no way out. Amazing lack of dialogue as he hops in the cab. You know, the cab driver says, what are we doing? He says, give me $50 worth. Just drive. Credits. Yeah. (laughs) Wowie.
0: if you're the cab driver, you're just like, all right, man. Uh, You know, (laughs) I guess do loops around this fucking block. I'll 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 (laughs) drive you to like the airport. I don't know. Like, what does that even mean? You know? Yeah. I'll drive. All right. I'll do loops around Midtown because I need to be able to pick someone else up when you
1: get out. I'm not going to (laughs) drive. Yeah. To uh, to the Bronx or something. Yeah. Yeah. Tony asked Clooney what he was thinking about in this moment. And he said, I'm just running the movie back through my head. So really embodying the character, feeling like uh, he was there. Okay. That's kind of fun. I was wondering, uh, maybe he'll go back to the DA's office. You know, maybe that's his, what he'll what he'll wind up doing. And Michael Clayton, two Electric Clayton Lou. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it, it is a good question. What the hell is he going to do now? I mean, you know, but uh, yeah, something like that. He could do. He could become a. You know, he could become like a public defender or, defen- or a defense attorney. You know, so, yeah, some presumably something humbler, less mired in sleaze. I would imagine at least he would like it to be that. Yeah, his 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 skill set is not really valuable unless he's working in some horrible beast of a, of a machine. So, yeah, it's not clear, wh- not clear where it goes. Consult. He'll be a consultant. He'll consult.
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go. And uh, the commentary ends with this very nice line that Tony said, where he said, if it sounds like we had a good time making this movie, we did except having to share a room together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, well, that's, yeah, it's, I, I it's great. You know, it, it would be hard to imagine this being a very grueling movie. Cause there's not a lot other than like the, you know, the sunlight stuff or the sunrise stuff. Right. But I mean,
1: in general, yeah. 70 locations as well, that's nothing to sneeze. Okay. At. That's a lot.
0: Yeah. That's fair. But, but I mean, you know, it, it's a, yeah, it's like I said, they hired a bunch of pros. There's not a lot of, there's nobody who's like a mercurial presence I would imagine. And uh, yeah, you know, a bunch of people just doing their job.
1: That's exactly right. Like Michael Clayton himself. That's right. And now, Patrick, we've reached the part of the episode where we sum up why this isn't just a good horror movie, but is in fact the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. Okay. Well,
0: I think it's it's a portrayal of you know it's it's the real world, you know, and it's and this this came out in 2007, one of those big law firms, you know, or it's about a fake one, obviously, but I mean, you know. And since then, it's only been borne out more that you know a lot of these big firms are. You start to find out what they're actually involved in, what the you know what the profession you know or what the that kind of representation actually entails. And it's been an interesting thing to see as uh, these things have become more and more in the in, in in the spotlight. I guess. Banality of evil is kind of a cliche thing, but uh, but that's what this is about, you know. And and that's why it's you know everybody in this movie gets chewed up by you know sort of forces beyond their control but not beyond their control you know like it it was set in motion at some point you know and they went along with it for a while and uh and and that's how things end up so yeah I, i i don't know that's not very articulate but i think i think you you get my point
1: no i totally agree to me this is the best horror movie ever made because it speaks to an actual human experience with supernatural movies with slasher movies You have the catharsis, you walk out going, that will never happen. I can leave this movie behind and be fine. But watching this movie, it is affecting in a real and tangible way. Because you look around, you can see yourself reflected in it, in a more easy capacity. I have talked before about, for several years, I worked at an ad agency, I felt gross, It was not a good time. And, you know, they ply you with, oh, there's liquor in the fucking fridge and you can, you know, sit in the beanbag chair and all these things that they use to convince you that it is a good place to be. Meanwhile, you are selling your soul to sell stuff that people don't need. And, you know, it just really drags you down. Or at least it dragged me down is what I'll say. (laughs) It dragged me down a lot. (laughs) And... You know, Take Shelter, a movie we also covered recently, kind of gestures at this, but it's more explicit, Michael Clayton is, about the way that our expenses, our basic needs are extorted by work to make us do distasteful stuff. You know, they will do whatever it takes. Marty says, When did you get so delicate? Like, they are so worn down by the fact that they are being told to do these unethical things that it's not even a surprise to him anymore. Oh, yeah, we're phone tapping people. Where did we get this briefcase for, for, uh, with his documents? Who cares? You know, all these things, all these little concessions that you make in order to keep food on the table and keep a, a roof over your house, it, it's an awful, awful one-sided relationship a lot of times. And, uh, you know, your work does not care about you the same way you care about keeping your job. And, and I just think that Michael is so emblematic of this sort of being run through your paces, fed through the grinder, and then spat out the other side with, with no care about what, what happened to you in that process. There's also the awful horror of the look at what businesses do. You know, this, they're willing to poison you to save a buck. They didn't only actively kill Arthur, they killed people with their products. That's the whole point of the lawsuit. They actively put out toxic shit to save their bottom line and just hoped people wouldn't notice, put the pieces together, or that it would be worthwhile for the company to just like accept these losses. That is so evil. That is so cruel and malicious and the truest horror possible i think and and you know that's why this is the best horror movie ever made said it better than i could <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> patrick i want to thank you so much for coming on the show man this was so much fun please tell the people where they can listen to your show find you on social media all that stuff yeah
0: sure uh, so yeah as you said before i'm the co-host of what a time to be alive it's uh, me kath Barbadora, eli yudin it's the uh only podcast that counts down the things each week that make you say the thing that's the title of the podcast it's like a uh you know uh fun news countdown nothing too serious uh we try to keep away from the from the big stuff and just just talk about animals that escaped and things like that so that's on all the podcast stuff it is not the uh, drake and uh what is it a uh, future album <laughs> so to keep an eye out for that if you hear if you hear music that's uh, that's not um <laughs> uh, what what we're doing but uh no it's so uh, that's on all the podcast places i'm uh, patty mo on all the stuff i think basically so yeah, uh, pattymo.com dot com on Blue Sky. If that's something that people, I, I don't, I, I don't know what we're supposed to promote anymore because I don't know what anybody's using. It's it's yeah. it changes every week, so we'll we'll see. But yeah, you find me on 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 all the stuff at that. That's that's an easy place to start.
1: Definitely encourage you all to do that. As far as my plugs, you can find me on Blue Sky at Little Phl. if you're there. We also have a bunch of really great episodes in the back catalog if you're listening to this for the first time. Uh, we recently covered Under the Silver Lake with Hayes Davenport from Hollywood Handbook. We have a couple of great episodes with um, Eric from Soundtracker. Brothi Gupta was on recently who is a writer for The Simpsons. She's really, really funny. We talked about Rocky Horror Picture Show recently. Hmm. So a lot of great stuff in the back catalog. And I also want to say, hey, the listener drive is going well. I am in the effort to get to 100,000 downloads by the end of the year. I am pushing this with a live stream happening Friday, December 22nd. It started with an eight-hour commitment. I'm aiming for 24 hours, and every hour equals 1,000 listeners. So it's 13 hours, and then uh, I'm just going to – if we hit that mark – bump it up to the full 24. So we're at 11 hours right now. It's been 3,000 of the 13,000 so far, which is going really well. Every hour is going to be more special goodness, trivia, live commentaries, giveaways, lots of special guests and stuff. Going to be a really fun time. So tell people about the show. Tune in for that December 22nd and keep an eye out for more information about that. All right. I think that's it. Rate and review, I guess, if you're enjoying the show. Don't do that if you're not enjoying the show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks, everyone. Bye.